0: Today we' are talking about and our the idea of the hard working man the hard working man and as a preface to what uh to this topic, I really believe that the the idea of a hard working man into in our uh western culture today has has really been undermined in a lot of different ways um I think that the idea of becoming a hardworking man has been seen to become a lot easier said than done, and it can actually be hard to find a hardworking man in the times that we're living today. I believe that each of you are hardworking men, but we're going to talk about this subject anyway today. Uh, I want to start off by by sharing a scripture, and we're going to be looking at a, a scene and the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at this specific battle, which is a battle of Ai is is the second battle for Israel after they were uh, entering into their promised land and they were coming against all these different nations in which they're supposed to inhabit. And at this specific scene, I want us to, to look at how uh, the, the first point, which is the dangerous entitlement ideology. And I want us to look at this scripture. Joshua chapter seven, verse two through five. It says, "Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to AI, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, "Go up and spy out the land." So the men went up and spied out AI, and then they returned to Joshua and said to him, "Do not have all the people go up. Have only about two or three thousand men go up to attack AI. Do not trouble all the people there, for they are few." So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, and they fled from the men of Ai, And the men of Ai struck and killed about 36 of their men, and pursued them from the gate as far as Sheberim, and struck them on the mountainside, and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. In this first point, we're talking about dangerous entitlement ideology, and I want us to grasp this idea. It is incredibly self-destructive to believe you will receive anything simply because you deserve it. Let me say that again. It is incredibly self-destructive to believe you will receive anything simply because you deserve it. In this story, we see Israel give an unbelievably small effort in this battle of AI. They were so settled in the promise of God to inhabit the land that they seemed to not have even tried. They seemed to not even have made a plan to get victory on their own. They just showed up with a couple thousand men and thought that the, it was going to be handed to them. They expected it to be given to them on a silver platter as if they had earned the right to have it. This is an entitled ideology, and it was not only a false reality but it also get, it also led to their biggest demise. They were defeated and chased away. Not only did they lose lives, 36 men, but they lost morale. They lost time and they lost their reputation. I think if we look back in moments where we felt entitled in a job, felt entitled in any situation in life, even in a relationship, we lose those very things. We lose part of our life. We lose our morale. We lose our time and we lose our reputation. Our pride consistently tries to convince us that we are good and deserving. Even when we do some really clearly wrong things, our pride convinces us that we are good and deserving. Our hearts not only uh, want, our hearts not only want what we don't have, but we often believe that the universe should bend to our desires because we are deserving in our own eyes. This is actually what caused the prosperity gospel message to flourish so much in Western society, because it's this very idea that the universe should bend to your desires, that if you want it badly enough, the universe will bend to you. When we incorporate our faith in God into this natural feeling of entitlement, we get a dangerous theology and a belief that God's purpose is to serve and please us. And so this is where we're at, at AI, dangerous entitlement ideology. And we get this idea that God's purpose is to serve and please us, false reality. Now let's go into our next point, which is unnecessary emotionalism. After this battle, it gives us this, this scene of, of Joshua and all of the, the, the leaders of Israel just crying uh, crying out to God, weeping. And they're praying things in a rhetorical way. Um, they're, they're, they're praying things in, to where they're not necessarily looking for answers from God, but they're just saying, woe is me, woe is me. And this is God's response in Joshua chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. It says, so the Lord said to Joshua, stand up! Exclamation mark. Why is it that you have fallen on on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also violated my covenant which I commanded them. And they have, they have even taken some of the things designated for destruction, and have both stolen and kept it a secret. Furthermore, they have also put them among their own things. And so what had happened was, is there is a man named Achan that took things from the first battle at Jericho, when God had clearly told them not to take anything from Jericho. That was all supposed to be Uh, made as an offering to God, this first battle, the very, the very first often goes to God in our faith. And so God is just saying, stand up, stop, stop crying about it. Just fix what's broken and then we can move on. And I think that uh, what we see is after this loss, the Israelites and the leaders wept, sobbed, and cried out to God with these pitiful and rhetorical prayers. And they were living the consequences of their own actions and decisions. But they made it out as if the whole world was against them, as if the whole world was out to get them. And this kind of emotionalism replaces reality and normal life experiences with over-amplified and unsolvable feelings. I think that emotionalism is one of the most dangerous things to church, to the church, because it, it, puts, it replaces true spiritualism with emotionalism. It's all about feelings and when you think about it, emotionalism in itself strives to stay in extreme emotions. So it by nature avoids solutions. If you think back to when you were young, if you think about moments where you would uh, be angry or upset, you would often uh, as a kid chase that that those feelings. You would chase that anger. It makes me think about my babies and when they cry and they sometimes they don't even know why they're crying they they start feeding off of their their crying they start that fit becomes more and more aggressive because they're they're going off of the the emotions that they're experiencing for the very first time and they just start chasing those emotions to where it doesn't matter if the problem is solved anymore they just cry anyway they're throwing this big fit and as adults we do the very same thing and we make these uh, and when I say pitiful prayers, I'm not trying to be condescending. What I'm saying is that when we make prayers, uh, that, that almost, uh, just feed that emotion more, these rhetorical prayers that we're not looking for answers. We're, we're, we're not even necessarily, um, bringing our hearts to God. We're just, just pouring out, uh, feeding this emotion, this emotion, this emotion. And, God's response is actually incredibly simplistic in this scenario as he tells them to literally get out of their feelings and handle it like men. And he tells them to fix the problem and try again. In the same heart, we as men should strive to not over amplify our emotions. It's good to acknowledge our emotions. Let me make it clear. It is good to acknowledge our emotions. But we don't need to stay in them or replay those emotions over and over and over to ourselves. Many times, we just need to stand up and handle things. I was just—Lauren uh, uh, was just showing me this um, psychologist, that sh- uh, this psychologist and neuroscientist—a um, video of them explaining of how people that have actual trauma, real trauma in their childhood, of how it's actually incredibly unhealthy for them to, to uh, go to those blacked out moments in their mind. When you have trauma as a child, you often start blacking out memories. It's your brain's response to protect you from trauma. And what most counselors do is they try to make you relive those traumas so that and, and so that you can process it. Well, this neuroscientist was talking about how re-engaging those emotions over and over is actually re-engaging trauma on, over and over. And it could lead, it, and it's actually not healthy for you, that it causes more anxiety and depression in people because they're not, they're not properly processing it. They're reliving it over and over. And so it just shows, um, you know, I'm I'm butchering, you know, all the years of neuroscience and et cetera, but it shows that when we just try to stay in this emotionalism it's truly not healthy for us yes we acknowledge we need to learn how to acknowledge our emotions when it's happening especially as adults but we don't have to live by our emotions it's not healthy to do that in fact i would say this that it is healthy to acknowledge our emotions but it is foolish to be controlled by our emotions now let me say uh, go into our last point which is Working like hell and praying like heaven. Working like hell and praying like heaven. It says in Joshua chapter 8, verse 3 through 4, after they they solved the, the sin problem, they, they dealt with Achan and what was supposed to happen. It says this, So Joshua rose up with all the people of war to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. He commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And he goes on to explain this plot, this this very well-articulated plan to defeat Ai. Completely different than their first go-around. The first go-around, they only sent 3,000 and just went, moseyed on up to the gates and and they got defeated horribly. Now they are actually right with God and they're working harder than they did before. They are actually working more than 10 times harder. Before it 3,000 men. Now they're sending 30,000 men. Before they had no plan, just go up to the gates. Now they have regiments and people waiting in ambush and a plan to go up to the gate and then retreat and act like they're retreating so that they could invade the city. They have this whole articulate plan now. And what it shows us, Is that God leads us to work like it's all on us and pray like it's all on Him? Let me say that again work hard like it's all on you and pray like it's all on God. When Joshua and the people changed their mindset to see that God's promises work with us and not for us, they had an overwhelming victory. Let me say that again. They saw that they realized that God's promises work with us and not for us. And they had an overwhelming victory. They were able to walk into their calling and their promise as they were obedient to God's leading. They gave their very best and God filled in the rest. It's a very important concept that I believe that uh, the church needs to come back to. We A lot of American churches come into a vending machine God mentality to where we just pray and wait. We pray and wait. We pray and wait. But often when we see people in scripture, they pray and they, they, they walked in faith. They moved forward in their prayers. They didn't just sit on their hands. They gave their very best at what they were praying for and then God filled in the rest. This is how our spiritual walk is supposed to be. We go the distance in the flesh and God completes the distance in the spirit. I believe that life itself takes a level of grit just to survive and a greater level of grit and even tenacity to accomplish something meaningful. God gives the strength. God gives the ability. God gives the provision. He gives everything that we need, but it's our job to walk in faith, and it means that there takes some walking. Now, ending on that note, my heart in this message is for us as men to understand that that we are called to give our very best to God, that uh, we we are called to acknowledge our emotions, but we're also not called to be controlled by our emotions. I want us to get out of this entitled ideology because it's self-destructive. And even when we do actually deserve something in this world, in this life, it doesn't mean that we'll just simply get it. And as we give ourselves to God, we we are giving our god our very best and that's what that's something that is meaningful and special because god first gave his very best to us when he sent jesus to die on the cross for you and me he gave himself he gave his only begotten son to be the sacrifice the payment for the world's sins so that we might have life even though he had to endure death and when I first gave my life to Christ, that simple concept is what changed my life forever. To know that Jesus was willing to love me in the place that I was. That He was willing to die for me. How could I not live for Him? And I want us to end on that thought. is If you haven't had a moment to where you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, to where you made a decision in your life to live for Him, to trust Him as your Savior, then I would encourage you to do that today. If that's something that you want to do, all you have to do is believe in your heart and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is. It says in the book of Romans, that's all you have to do. And what it's saying is if you just have an authentic heart and talk to God yourself, say what you really want, say what you really mean, and you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You just talk to him yourself. And that's all it takes that's all it takes to start a relationship with him, a journey with him. If if that's you, I really encourage you to do that today and not let another day pass, but let today be the day that, that you experienced a decision moment like that. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this time that you've given us together, and I pray that you minister to every person listening to this, that you edify us as men, and that you bring about a stronger level of grit and tenacity in our lives, that we would live transparently, that we would not hide things in our lives like Achan, but that we would be open and uh, just down to earth, Lord, that we wouldn't be stuck in our emotions, and, but that we would be willing to stand up and give ourselves to you and, and, uh, and truly learn to be hardworking men of faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.